0: Now, this is Box to Box with Michael Edgley and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse.
1: Great savings every day.
2: And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely
3: fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. With Rob Gilbert still on the bench, you're with Willem van Denderen and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news shortly. And of course, we'll be joined throughout the show by our former ITN journo turn pundit, Derek Dyson. Qatar have retained their Asian Cup crown, led and inspired by an Akram Afif hat-trick to defeat Jordan 3-1 in the final. To reflect on this most unexpected of home soil triumphs and assess what it means for the legacy of Qatari football after their decade in the international spotlight, we'll be joined for the first time in a little while by the Asian Games' Paul Williams. There's also a bit of uh, AFC Cup action to preview with some A-League sides involved, so looking forward to that chat with Paul. Back home, speaking of the A-League, Sydney FC have moved into the top six after a statement win over the Mariners, with three goals in the opening 20 minutes, indicating their unbeaten month might just be the start of something bigger. New gaffer Ufuk Tele took a beat to settle into the job but is well-established now and will join us for the first time since joining the Sky Blues. We'll close out, as always, with World Cup Corner. There's a Matilda squad and a big inclusion to digest and an NAF Colton final, if that wasn't enough for you. Edge, packed show always. How are you going over there in Bangkok?
2: I'm great with Great to uh, talk to you from... Uh... Amsterdam in the Netherlands, but a huge week for football. Massive congratulations to Qatar and Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. What a Cinderella story, winning the uh, African Cup after losing the first two group games and changing their coach. We'll have a lot to say about that in stoppage time, but worth noting that. But um, congratulations to those two nations. Uh, Who would have thought uh, Qatar? We'll ask Paul. You know, they were no chance before the tournament started and uh, all of a sudden they're lifting the trophy. But big news. What about the huge news, the Matilda selection? This is absolutely fantastic news. Michelle Heyman, Chloe Lagazo are back in the Matilda squad for the big Olympic qualifier in Uzbekistan in uh, under two weeks' time. Uh, Caitlin Torpy is also getting her first cap and Yada Wyman. Steps back up into the squad as well. She'll be the number three keeper, no doubt about that. Uh, form has been rewarded. There's been a lot of discussion about Michelle Heyman. She's in fabulous condition, 34, 35 years of age, thereabouts. And she uh, is well and truly on top of the world. Listen, Let's listen to what Tony Gustafson had to say about her selection.
0: I mean... For me, it's looking at, with, with Sam unavailable, Kaia coming back from injury, McNamara injured and so forth, we're looking at who's the best next nine. And the way Michelle have played, she deserves to be selected. It's purely performance. And I've said that a lot of times throughout these three years, that for me, it's not about age in Matilda, it's about the quality you have as a footballer. Whether, whether you're 17 or 35, doesn't matter, if you have the quality you deserve to be selected. And has played herself into this team, uh, the way she plays. She's in tremendous form. Uh, she's scoring for fun. Um, and we also feel playing This type of qualifiers, when we think we're going to play against a very, very well-organized Uzbekistan, it's going to be difficult to get in behind. We need an in-and-out pure nine in the box that needs half a chance to score, uh, and that's Michelle, the form she's playing with right now. So I'm really happy for her because she has pushed herself back into this team by her performances.
2: Well, that is uh, an unbelievable selection, Willem, and um, she deserves all the congratulations that are coming her way.
3: Yeah, 60 caps, 20-odd goals. Uh, she spoke about her decision to step away in 2019, which was sort of billed as a little bit of a retirement, but she did say that you couldn't really speak as openly about, or she didn't feel she could speak as openly about her mental health at that point. So fantastic that she has been away. Uh, as you say, she's in fantastic condition. Her output in the in the A-League women's has never really diminished, and, yeah, she thoroughly deserves to be in there. So that's a hugely exciting storyline to, uh, to follow as we look towards those two World Cup or Olympic qualifiers, rather, against Uzbekistan. Derek Dyson. Arsenal, as we welcome you in there's not a, a law or a rule on the show that we ask you about arsenal each week but they are the story once again six nil over the hammers uh and there were plenty of those uh west ham fans on the tube pretty quick smart uh on sunday
1: afternoon england
3: time
1: yeah thanks william and 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 look i think edge and i were actually pretty circumspect uh last week after the result against liverpool we weren't crowing too much about it but i think we've got the opportunity to crow today i mean even in our wildest dreams. I'm not sure we would have felt a six nil uh, scoreline would have been possible. Of course, West Ham have beaten Arsenal twice this season already. Um, uh, 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 once at the Emirates and one in the Cup as well, ruin it, ruining our prospects there. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's a great victory. Six nil. Get the goal from Declan Rice was was superb, and of course, he chose to do the non celebration at the end, which as you said, it was kind of academic because it didn't look like there were many people inside the London Stadium uh, to see Declan Rice's goal. And I was, as I do sometimes, I listen to 606, which is the BBC's phone in with Robbie Savage and uh, Chris Sutton. It is well worth listening to. There are some great debates on there. And the whole, the whole thing was about what a proper fan means. The whole debate, it, and Chris Sutton was saying that, if you leave the ground early, regardless of the circumstances, you can't call yourself a proper fan. And there are lots of angry West Ham fans who are, were, were trying to contradict him otherwise. But uh, Edge, fellow gooner in in, uh, in front of the mic, this was obviously a, a great win. And, and are you a proper fan if you leave before the final whistle?
2: No, you're not. Absolutely not a proper fan. You've got to sit there and if you're losing by Coppin a shellacking, you've got to stick it out. And if you're winning, you've got to celebrate right to the end.
1: Yeah, I think that was a, a, a win for for, for uh, uh, Chris Sutton's view on it, and yeah, I, I think I share the same view. I think you know the team of you've got to be there to support the team in the good times and the bad. You know, Moyes is under a lot of pressure. They're eighth in the league uh, at the moment, um, and you know they've got that European trophy, which has still got some shine on it in their trophy cabinet. But I think so I think it would be a shame if, if Moyes was to go. But I don't think it was the fact that they were. 4-0 down at half-time. It was the fact that they were just being absolutely overrun. Uh, I think West Ham would always want to be competitive, particularly against their London rivals. And um, this was a this was a, a, a dismal showing. But I suppose one thing that this does do for Arsenal season is they had to go and watch Liverpool and um, Manchester City win uh, at the weekend. Spurs, of course, had a dramatic late victory over um, Everton as well, and, and are still kind of in the hunt and in the running. So it was absolutely vital that Arsenal got the three points. 6-0 uh, was just, uh, you know, unbelievable, with them We'll jump into
3: first edition news, and we're going to hold the guitar chat for when we do welcome in Paul Williams in just a moment. So, Le Cote d'Ivoire have won the Africa Cup of Nations for the third time. They walked the tightrope all tournament, as Edge mentioned, but did save their best performance for the final, I thought. Nigeria had taken the lead through William trost Akong, but from there, it was all the elephants. Frank Kessie and Sebastian Haller overturning the deficit in the second half. Derek, we've spoken a lot about uh, the manager who uh, is gone, Jean-Louis Gasset, we spoke a little bit about uh, Hervé Renard, the manager who was uh, was never there on this occasion. But plaudits need to go to the interim boss, uh, Emuze Fay, who I didn't realise but um, had had played but was forced into retirement at 27 with a, a condition sort of similar to, to deep vein thrombosis, uh, an issue with the, the sort of blood flow in his legs. And as we've discussed on this program, sometimes that can be the best thing for your coaching career and as has proved the case on this occasion. Uh, and also Sebastian Haller, the goal scorer, uh in the, the semi-final and then the winner in the final as well well documented and much spoken about his his battle with testicular cancer but uh, nonetheless uh, still uh, quite a quite a considerable feat
1: yeah well it was a, it was a dramatic game and you put you call out the haller story because these African teams definitely do look at their star name players and and he's a star he's certainly a star name uh, in the mix it was a, it was a great instinctive goal you know there was probably a question to say, you know, was the foot high there? You know, he got his studs on it, really, at quite a high position. But the deflection was uh, was a really good one. And, yeah, you said, as you pointed out, he's come back from a terrible illness, a terrible disease. And, um, you know, you, you can't not feel really positive and great for him. And, yeah, look, just that stadium was rocking. You know, you saw how passionate those those fans were there. Um, and it is an incredible story. Like If you told me when they were sacking their manager after three games, no chance. No way did they have a chance. I think even Rob Gilbert or someone had, had called that they'd got out. Or oh no, it might have been Edge. Edge, you might have even said they'd got out and Rob came in and I WhatsApp group and said, no, nope, they've still got a chance and uh, and Rob was right. They did have a chance and so they not just got through but They went and won the whole the whole bloody thing. So uh, I look forward to talking to that and dissecting that in more detail in stoppage time. But a great way to um, to to sign off what has been a fabulous tournament.
3: Ed, you keep an eye on the the Green Falcons of Nigeria. They were building into the tournament, it seemed nicely, but did seem to yeah sort of stop dead, having taken that initial uh, lead on the night. And yeah, Victor Osimhen, uh, one of the biggest stars of the competition, just couldn't get into the game uh, on uh, on final evening.
2: Yeah, that's right. They uh, they got the go ahead goal, didn't they? And uh, tried to hang on. They'd only conceded two goals for their entire. Uh, six games leading up to that final. So uh, they would have given them some chance of holding on. But once uh, um, Sebastian Heller's big toe flicked on the ball uh, into the goal, if you haven't seen the the winner, uh, make sure you get onto YouTube and check it out because it is a goal of the highest quality. And it was a very good game. But I think you watched the whole game, Willem, and Nigeria just looks like they were out of gas.
3: Yeah, it wasn't so much they took the lead and then tried to park the bus. It was just that they seemed to be overrun and, yeah, very much the uh, the the home side finished the stronger so well deserved uh, and yeah more to come later in the week's programming a huge result in germany as well as we look towards uh, the back end of the season's already would you believe by leverkusen have pulled 5 points clear of by munich after dismissing the 11 time reigning champions let's not forget 3-0. Leverkusen have never won the German title and have finished runners up on five occasions, most recently in 2010-11. Thomas Müller, now 34, uh, is as competitive as ever despite all of that success. 11 titles in a row. Uh, he jumped on television after this defeat and demanded that his teammates fire up. And I think even if you don't speak German, you should be able to uh, understand a bit of the sentiment here.
0: The pressure, but you have to, 10 Minuten, aber ganz gut angefangen. Und dann bringen wir und verstehen well. auch nicht, dass, C ist, vielleicht ein Spiel ist. bring, that, that hard, it bring the Ball öfter in die gegnerische Hälfte. Spiel Ball von
3: mir aus hinten often as Nebacusen, having never really won a trophy. So we'll see how that plays out over the next couple of months. Domestically, it was well a rant when and, uh, and he went into bat for the manager as well. It was directed pretty. Fairly and squarely on the, you know, the shoulders of his teammates. As I say, he's won 11 titles in a row in a World Cup edge. He's 34 and he's still as fiery as ever. Yeah, he said he was, wasn't he? He was fired up. That's very funny. The Phoenix in the A-League men's are also five points clear after both the Mariners and victory lost. Now, they're not derided as never Cuson or never Wellington or anything like that. It was a pretty poor link made on the fly Their Apologies. But with 10 games to go, they're the only A-League side that have never won uh, a trophy. So getting very exciting uh, at the Ten as well, Michael.
2: It is remarkable, isn't it? Wellington Phoenix, again, no pundit picked that they would uh, have a great season. And they're five points clear after 17 matches. So, yeah, they're they're in with a big chance. Um, Yeah, well done to them.
3: Well done. (laughs) Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army to close. Jump onto gjtravel.com.au and register your interest for the Matildas at the Olympics, hopefully, uh, and for the Socceroos at the 2026 World Cup. We've touched on those Matildas inclusions. Um, so the, uh, the key headline out of the men's was Aidan O'Neill, who went and put the disappointment of the Asian Cup behind him by scoring uh, an absolute belter for Standard Age in Belgium, uh, which turned out to be the winner against uh, Leuven. So well worth a watch if you haven't caught up there. Uh, and three Aussies on the team sheet for Hibbs in the Scottish Cup, Martin Boyle uh, on the score sheet as they progressed past Caledonian Thistle, Lewis Miller and Nectar Triantis building up their minutes nicely there. Stick around. We've got the uh, the Asian Cup final to review with Paul Williams, Akram Afif, one of the uh, the best players on the planet at the minute. Interesting to see what lies in future for him, uh, the Mariners and the Bulls, also with uh, a chance for some rare Australian Asian club silverware uh, over the next couple of weeks. So Paul Williams of the Asian game to join us next
0: box to box can you believe it for chemist warehouse
1: great savings every day
0: and hoyts herbs and spices
1: changing the mood of food and this could be the most crucial goal of
4: all
3: when carlos kurosch departed the qatari head coaching job 5 weeks out from the start of the asian cup few judges felt the side would threaten the pointy end of the tournament despite heading in as hosts holders we now sit here weighing up their place in Asian football history as just the fourth side to go back-to-back, capping off their decade in the international spotlight. So to ponder that, as well as preview the upcoming AFC Cup zonal semifinals, it's a big welcome back to the Asian Games, Paul Williams. G'day, Paul. How are you going, guys? Really well. Great to have you back on. Uh, a chapter in Qatari football history that maybe not many saw being written, back-to-back Asian Cups uh, bookending their well-documented disappointing home World Cup. Uh, where do you think that's come from? Do you think there's a sense that maybe there was uh, an unburdening of that World Cup pressure that they've they've ridden all the way? How, how have you read that? Because uh, yeah, I think that's confounded a few. Yeah,
0: I, I think we're all sort of sitting back now and wondering where that came from. Because as you said, no one predicted that coming into the tournament, um, particularly their opponents in the final as well. Uh, you know, if you were brave enough to predict Qatar might make the final. You we certainly weren't brave enough to suggest that Jordan would be their opponent. It was a remarkable and unpredictable Asian Cup in in that sense. And I think what we know about Qatar, and if we if we look back over sort of this four or five-year cycle now, going back to when they won in 2019, I think we know they are a decent football team. And you look at the players that they've got in that side, and you look at players like Hassan al haidus al Ali, and particularly Akram Afif, um they've got a a decent team of players and they've won the asian cup twice but they've had good results in in the gold cup um that they've been um, a guest in as well the copper america they did okay in that tournament as well it's the world cup that really stands out as the sort of um the, the the glaring misstep in that and i think what we've come to to know from that is they just simply didn't handle the pressure. I don't think they got their preparation right. I think the pressure was too much for them, um, and and they wilted on on the bigger stage. But I don't think that was a true reflection of what this team is capable of. I think that's I think that's more the exception rather than the rule for for what Qatar is, and perhaps we put too much stock in in that result um and and forgot that this is still a a very good football team admittedly they they had a a soft and easier run to the final when you look at their their group opponents in lebanon china and tajikistan as much as they were a surprise packet that still was a, a soft group for them to land in and and it was really only iran which was the the one big team that they managed to play and they they got over that so you know fair play to them for for that as well. But you know they were able to get through to, to the final and, and win it without necessarily facing too many hard tests along the way. So, um, but you know, congratulations to them, they've done it. History will now look back in 20, 30, 40 years time and look that this is a team that did go back to back when so few others have, have managed to do it. Others that we think are perhaps more well credentialed like a Japan team of the last decade or something, they couldn't back up 2011. Australia couldn't back up when when we won in 2015. So you have to give full credit to them um, for doing that. Um, and now it's what can they do on the back of this? Um, can they build on this? Can they qualify for a World Cup for the first time um, as well? So there'll be a lot of um, a lot of expectation placed back of, back, back upon them. Paul, um, you mentioned him
2: um, Akran The Thief. I mean, for people that watched uh, the, this tournament, Like, it was Leo Messi-like. He was unbelievable. I mean, the match against Iran, which was an incredibly high-quality match, we saw overhead goals. I mean, he he took the game by the scruff of the net when it needed to be won. Um, This guy, should he be playing um, in one of the top European leagues?
0: He should be, absolutely. He's undoubtedly talented enough, and he's had experiences uh, in Europe before, um, in in Belgium um, with, with Upen, obviously, because their connection to to Aspire and, and Qatar as well. And um, perhaps didn't work out, but he was a lot younger then. He was sort of 19, 20 years of age at, at that point. So um, he's a little bit more mature now. Um, he's grown up. Uh, I'd like to see him have another crack at it. He's still only 26. So he's in that peak age of his career. If it's not going to be now, it's probably going to be never. And I think if we look back, a decade ago, we think of, you know, someone else with a big curly hair, um, Omar abdul and we all thought the same of him, and he never really made the most of, of his talent and was able to go across to, to Europe and see what he could do. And we look back on that now as a bit of a wasted opportunity for, for Emirati football. I hope that's not the case for for Qatari football because he's certainly talented enough. And and now that, that, that World Cup, that Asian Cup build-up, which they wanted the entire team kept in Qatar, um, so they had them at their whim for, you know, whenever they wanted to go into a training camp. Now that that is all done with, hopefully there's um, a little bit of freedom applied to the players for them to pursue these opportunities because, as you said, his tournament, it was, it'll go down as what, probably one of the, the great individual performances and tournaments that we've seen in, in Asian Cup history because they they weren't necessarily a one-man team because they still had a lot of play, uh, good good performers around him, but they don't win that tournament without Akram Afif because, as you said, in the game against Iran, in other games as well, he took that game by the scruff of the neck and he was just unplayable at times and what a player he is and I do hope he goes now and and tests himself in Europe to see what is possible because he's undoubtedly got the talent. I want
2: to bring up Korea um, because there's been a lot of expectation around Korea. Um, They do have a... um, Excellent squad and there is uh, they, they, they seem to be building. But there's one thing that stands out is that the appointment of Jürgen Klinsmann for me is just a weird appointment. Um, he didn't look happy in the role at the, the event. And I read that he's really been confronted by a very significant media pack when he got back to Korea where the questions about him uh, falling on his sword and resigning as a result of their failure were coming thick and fast. One, what did you make of Jurgen Klinsmann's appointment, and what did you
0: think about uh, their exit from the tournament? It's an appointment that had disaster written all over from all over it from the moment that was announced. When you saw the news come through that he was being considered, first of all, um, you just thought, why? Like in what world would, would Jurgen Klinsmann be an appropriate appointment for for the Korean national team with the the talent that they've got like what what runs on the board necessarily does he have particularly in recent times um to to get a job like that and i think what we saw at the world cup was the natural outcome of appointing Jurgen Klinsmann i mean he he has made no friends in Korea whatsoever from his reluctance to live and spend a significant amount of time um, in Korea. He almost has to be forced to spend time in Korea and, and scout the the K-League players, and they have a significant number of, of K-League players in the squad and on the fringes of the squad. He seems to like to, to spend most of his time either in his home in, in California or uh, over in Europe, um, you know, visiting the, the big three or four players of the squad. And I think it was telling when he got back to Korea uh, um, or even before he left he, he said that you know he wanted to now spend some time going over to Europe and, and visiting the likes of Son Hung Min and Lee Kang In and, and Kim Min Jae um, but that just struck me as, as why like the, the, the three biggest players on your team what purpose is it served by continually going over and seeing them play? You know what they're going to offer. These are walk-up starts in the team. Surely his time is better spent scouting players in the K League. Surely it's better spent scouting other players in, in other European competitions as well. Um, he, he landed back in in Seoul, uh, as you said, to a ferocious media pack and, and fans as well greeted him at the airport with, with abuse and I think some were throwing Throwing lollies and that as well at him at the airport. Um, if he was an unpopular appointment at the time, um, I don't know what he is now, persona non grata perhaps. But yeah, it it just seems it's a matter of time before this uh, the, the the pin is pulled on this experiment. And if Korea go down the path any further with Jurgen Klinsmann, who knows what what damage will be done? Because they've got an unbelievable squad, probably the best you know headline players on paper of any team. In Asia, but they need a coach that can get the best out of them, and that's not going to be Jurgen Klinsmann. And uh, my last question before I hand back to Willem is about uh,
2: the players that stood out for you. I, I have two. Um has seen from Iraq; <laughs> he was he was incredible, six goals, but he was he had had it all. He was controversial, he was dynamic, he was angry, and he was very very talented. And the other player for me was a Korean, Lee Lee Kang In. Uh, i know he plays at psg and he's got great quality but he looks like he looks like he's very young he looks like being the mainstay
0: of that team in the next generation of players doesn't he he does yeah and and he's really come on over the last 12 to, to 18 months if you if you look at his performances now it's hard to believe that before the last world cup which is only 12 months ago um, he couldn't even crack it into the the Korean side palo bento for for whatever reason was was not particularly a fan of of what he was producing and he was doing really well in in Spain at the time for for Mallorca as well um, but for some reason just couldn't crack it with with palo bento he chose him he made an impact at the world cup particularly in that final game against Portugal that they won to progress to the knockout rounds and he's blossomed since then as you said he's now at, at psg and, and doing really well there and i think he's 22 years of age still which is remarkable because it feels like he's been on the scene for a decade um within asian football circles that people have been talking about this kid and he is still a kid at, at 22 years of age and what he was able to produce at this tournament in in patches and bursts as well it, it points to a, a very very exciting future and i've got a, a korean friend um, korean journalist as who said to me that he's got no doubt that Ikang In will be a far bigger star than what Son Hong Min um, will be. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a bigger player, um, but certainly a bigger star in in Korea. Um, he was a, a reality TV star. That's how he got discovered when he was a, a teenager, went over to, to Valencia. Um, and he is box office in Korea, and he's only 22. Um, if he blossoms at PSG, um, you know, which is already one of the biggest clubs, biggest brands in the world, um, who knows what could be possible for him? Paul, the
3: Asian Cup has been so all-consuming and so brilliant It can be sort of easy to forget that the uh, the club competitions are about to kick back into gear. Uh, the AFC Cup, the secondary tournament to the Champions League, uh, we we're at the uh, the zonal uh, stage semi-finals, and this is one of the most convoluted and difficult sort of competitions to get your head around. Uh, really is a really is a tough read to uh, to work out where we're at. But I think the bottom line is that we're at the final eight. We've got the Mariners and Macarthur both involved. Central Coast are going to play Sabah of Malaysia and the Bulls Phnom Penh Crown of Cambodia. Uh, this is the Southeast Asian Zone uh, semi-final. So, uh, how are you? or What are you expecting of the the two Aussie sides? They can only they can only win through here, and then they'll have to meet each other before going any further. Are we are we expecting yeah. uh, some rare Australian club continental silverware?
0: uh would be certainly be expecting some success from from the ASEAN zone and when you look at the the draw on paper and we've got to be careful because we've said this many a time before but certainly on paper the the two teams are significantly stronger than Than their opposition. They both come in 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 pretty good form. Of course, MacArthur had that win against Melbourne victory on the road on the weekend. And the Mariners have have hit a rich vein of form after their difficult start to the season as well. So, um, you know, they come into this. It, it, it's, a, it's a stretch to try and see um, Sabah or Phnom Penh, you know, challenging them. Of course, you have to remember that MacArthur did go to Cambodia and came unstuck against Phnom Penh. So um, you don't want to take these teams lightly. Um, but they are, I'm, I'm pretty sure both of these games are, are at home. So um, it's much more difficult for Southeast Asian teams to travel here um, rather than, you know, play at home. Um, we've seen Australian teams come unstuck when they've had to travel for this tournament this year. You know, the Mariners lost to Terengganu, as I said, Macarthur lost to Phnom Penh. Um, we've seen those results on the road this year. So that can be difficult. They've avoided that. They get to play at home uh, against, these, um, against these teams. So I would fully expect that Central Coast and Macarthur will meet in the ASEAN Zone final. And as you said, then it can only be one of them. That progresses through um, to the interzone playoff semifinals. Just to uh, add even more confusion to the mix, where uh, they'll play Odisha, um, the uh, the Indian Super League team, who are I think top of the league um, in, in the Indian Super League at the moment. So they've had a great start to uh, to that season. So they will meet them uh, in that um, uh, semifinal, effectively, as to what it is. Then you go into the interzone playoff final against uh, a team from Kyrgyzstan or a team from from Taiwan as well. So it's really set up that whoever it is that gets through this really should be progressing to make it through to the final to meet the West Asian team.
3: And as we continue to whip around Asian football, the new J-League season only about 10 days away. Mitch Langerak's just been named captain of Nagoya. Mitch Duke is going to feature having earned promotion with uh, Makita Zelvia. But the big Australian headline one of our biggest ever, it's always going to be uh, that Harry Kewell is the new boss of Yokohama F Marinos, continuing something of a new legacy with Ange and then Kevin Musk uh, rolling through that top job. Now, am I being too sceptical to say that Harry, based on his managerial record, is probably not of the same calibre uh, as those two previous Aussies? Or is there some optimism that maybe that time with Celtic and a, a bit of a freshen up different resources compared to what he would have had in those lower levels in England
0: as well? Uh, is there some optimism that this this could come good? I'm fascinated to see how it goes because on paper, his coaching record probably doesn't warrant a, a, a position like this. He's clearly been recommended by um, by Ange and and by by Muskie and those sort of within that Australian circle that that clearly have influence still at, at Yokohama F Marinos. Of course, Ange will know him very well from his time um, working together at, at Celtics. So I've got no doubt that you know a phone call would have been. Put into Ange to get uh, to get his recommendations. so he clearly comes highly recommended. But you know his his coaching experience up until this point sort of leaves a lot to be desired. Um, so I'm fascinated to see how he how he gets on in in a job like this. You'd imagine this is probably last chance saloon for him. If he doesn't make a success of this, it's hard to see him getting another opportunity like this anywhere else in the world. So I'm I'm fascinated to see how it goes because. As I said, his coaching record up until this point isn't particularly flash. So um, this is make or break for him. And it's, and it's huge for for Marinos as well. They've, they've put a lot of trust and a lot of faith in in Harry Kill to to deliver and continue on the success that they've had because basically since Ange came in, apart from that first season where they just avoided relegation, they've pretty much been top two or three ever since. So, you know, they expect to, to be at the pointy end of the table. They expect to be... To be fighting for championships, so um, there's a lot riding on on this for them as well. Because if he comes in and, and doesn't succeed, um, then they're gonna, you know, find themselves, you know, at the, the wrong end of the table as to where they expect to be. So um, this is going to be a fascinating watch over the next couple of months. That's for sure.
3: Always well, plenty of threads to be pulled in Asian football. Pool and would we'll be lost without your uh, your expertise trying to trying to cover them all. So great to chat. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, we look forward to. Uh... Yeah, hopefully to, to some success from the, the two Aussie sides and, yeah, the J-League always, always gripping and not too far away. So thank you very much for your time. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Paul Williams of the Asian Game there. Stick around on the other side. We've got Ufuk Tele. We've, uh, we've chatted to him plenty of times over the journey, but this will be the first occasion since he took up that top job at Sydney FC. Edge, did you know that you can get a massive half price off the Swiss Vitamins range right now at Chemist Warehouse? I did not know that, Willem. That is big news. We tell you every week, it's uh, it's always the case. There's Swiss Calcium Plus Vitamin D, 150 tablets for just $15.99, and Swiss Men's or Women's Multivitamins, 120 tablets for $29.99. Sale excludes bulk sizes. Chemist Warehouse are making it easier for you to get your essential items in addition to visiting your local store, order online, or click and collect to save time. So there really is no excuse, Edge, just options are plenty. However, you need to get your delivery.
2: That's right. Don't delay. Get onto it.
3: Do not delay. You can also choose fast delivery for same-day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every day.
0: Chemist Warehouse.
1: Why pay more? Box to box. Can you believe it?
0: For Chemist Warehouse.
1: Great savings every day.
0: And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices.
1: Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
3: Last May, Ufuk Talay finished his time at Wellington as the most successful manager in that club's history. And it seemed only a matter of time before another big opportunity would come knocking. Starting that opportunity, three games into the new season, perhaps robbed him of the time uh, to build and prepare that he may have otherwise liked. But on the weekend, we saw Sydney FC's most impressive performance under his management, and he joins us now. Wulffuk, welcome back to uh, Box to Box for the first time, at Sydney Box. Great to chat. Cheers, thank you. Thanks for having me. Three-one over the second-placed Mariners at Gosford on Saturday. The points uh, effectively sealed at three-nil after uh, after twenty minutes. How did you read it? Yeah, look, we started very well
4: uh, and we uh, capitalized on those moments that we created and and scored uh, three, well, we scored two and, and one own goal uh, in 20 minutes, which really much, uh, you know, uh, was enough to get the uh, three points over the line. But uh, overall, you know, they, they came at us in the second half, which you expect. Uh, that's why they where they are currently on the table and I thought the boys were, very resilient in uh, defending their box as well.
3: And we've got to ask, it probably should have been four. Do you have a word to to Patrick Wood? Do you put an arm around him
4: or uh, do you let that sort of stuff fly? Yeah, look, uh... Depends on the player. I think everyone's different. I think Paddy, Paddy, uh, Paddy's, uh, he's a resilient player, and these things happen. And he's a, he's a striker, and he's going to miss opportunities. And uh, it happens within the game. And uh, you know, he did the work to to get that opportunity, but obviously didn't capitalise on it. So look, these things will happen again uh, during his career, and then he'll learn from it. Anthony Caceres, um he's been
2: there since 2019. Ufuk. Um I don't know why I say this but sometimes I think we haven't seen the best of him. Um he is 31 years old. Um he was he had an outstanding game, a goal and two assists. Is he is his best football
4: still ahead of him? Yeah, I think so. I think Anthony is a special player. I think he's got some great attributes to you know, in tight areas to get past players. Uh, One thing I think he needs to add to his game is his goals. And I think that's something definitely he knows it as well. And uh, I think he uh, contributed well over the weekend against Central Coast. He got a goal against uh, Adelaide earlier in the season as well. And I think that's something he needs to continually do. And if he's not scoring goals, then he needs to be uh, assisting goals. But then we believe he has the attributes. I think he believes he has the attributes to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, he he continues to do most of it. But I think he just needs to be more consistent
2: yeah absolutely now you've um you've not lost in four matches um I sense there's a bit of momentum building. do you feel that
4: yeah look uh hopefully there is momentum building and hopefully the that game over the weekend gives the players a lot of belief as well i think uh they've been very reciprocal to what we wanted in mm-hmm. the way that we want to play we we tried to change their their behavior and their mentality and their attitude and and the boys have been great in that sense and look sometimes it uh it it happens within the game and sometimes uh the opponents uh, work out and how to deal with it as well. But uh, look, we've, we're, we're playing some some good football and we are, I think, the the team that uh, expects to score a lot of goals. So that's uh, very flattering for us as well. So we just got to continue that uh, that good play, that that high-pressing game. And also when we do have the ball, find solutions on how we're going to break teams down. Well, the Academy at Sydney FC has always thrown
2: up some ex- excellent young players and you had um, more of them on show on the weekend. Uh, you've got some players out with injury, but... The youngsters are doing a good job. They might be able to, uh, they might be able to keep their spots. What can you tell us about just how you've enjoyed getting to know uh, the younger group of players uh, at the club, and, and and how excited are you about their their uh, their potential?
4: Yeah, look, well, there's a lot of potential with our young players. I think the great thing uh, that we've done since I've come in is we do we call them elite sessions, where every week we rotate the the young players in the academy uh, from 15 to to the 19-year-olds that are currently in the academy, and myself, uh, Driller Matthew Nash uh, and Scars, we run a session with those boys. To you know, it's only once a week, but we get to see them uh, once a week and see how they're going. And and if there's a player that we think is ready to you know come up and train with the first team, we invite them to come up and train with the first team to be in that environment. And look, you know, Hayden and, and Jakey were two young central friends. That was Hayden's uh, first start and. Look, obviously the academy they work with the players to get into a certain point and uh, injuries and suspensions open up doors for players like Hayden to, to build their careers
2: and just tell us how you're settling into Sydney and um, you had a bit of a break between Wellington and this job uh yeah you obviously um, also went to uh, Beijing with the Socceroos when we played Argentina over there how's how have you enjoyed settling back into Sydney you've obviously worked there previously but. Um, you still feel like you're learning and do you have aspirations? So I don't want to put, the, put you on the spot, um, but do you have aspirations to coach overseas?
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the goal is to to like the players challenge themselves and, and go to bigger and better things. And uh, for me, the same is uh, with like the players. I'd like to at some stage in my career you know, challenge myself and go to overseas and, and find those opportunities to, to do so. But look, I love being back in Sydney. Sydney is my uh, hometown. And uh, the only thing I don't like is the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Yep>. that's right.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, not the only one to be uh, afflicted by the uh, the traffic in in Sydney. Uh, Edge asked you about a couple of the uh, the youngsters that you've got coming through now. One of the uh, the tough things about uh, being a goalkeeper is that there is obviously only one spot on the pitch. And Adam Pavlosić is a, a young man who's had raps on him for a long, long time. He, he did come on earlier in the season under your management when there was a, a red card to to Andrew Redmayne. Where's he at with his uh, with his development? We've seen the likes of, of Joe Gauci, uh, at Adelaide, get opportunities early. Uh, Matt Ryan going, you know, back over a decade now. The younger you can get in as a keeper, although some are happy to be patient, the better. And, and this is a, a young man who uh, is, you know, tipped to go to go to right to the top by some. So, how have you assessed him in your first sort of three months at the club?
4: Yeah, Pav has been very good. Look, all, all the goal, goalkeepers have been very good. Even Gus, our young seventeen-year-old goalkeeper, has been uh, fantastic as well. For uh, it's look it's difficult for the goalkeepers like you said they 're fighting for one position, and if someone gets injured players can play in multiple positions and, and do a job, but uh, the goalkeeper is a, is a unique position and uh, look Paver 's been training well, he had his opportunity uh, against victory a tough game for him, but it was one of those ones where we sat down we had the conversation with redders and, and Paver himself as well, and said look it's, we 've asked this is the way we play and we 've asked redders to do." to do something and he's just got caught out at that moment by you know by the player taking a touch and then conceding a red card so i find it hard to to punish redders for doing something that we've asked him to do and uh be, you know give up his spot for for power and look Pava works hard at training and, and it's great to to have that uh competition within training and his opportunity will come i'm, I'm sure it will and
3: uh, just a, a personal wonderful, you were an inaugural Sydney FC player in 2005, 2006, and you had your, your three years there during the very early stages of the club. Uh, a lot of success and in, in silverware in the, in the period uh, since that point. Did there, or, or does there, remain a, a personal fondness or pride in the club that was maybe sort of dormant while you were elsewhere, but then was rekindled when the, when the job came up? Or are you sort of feeling that your stints as player and now coach are sort of totally separate points in uh, in your life and in in your career how how do you feel about the club basically is my question
4: yeah look there's definitely a connection there being uh, being here for the first season and and also winning the title in our first season of the competition uh, there's definitely a deep connection there and I spent uh, three uh, great seasons uh, here and then had the opportunity to go to uh, Japan and then come back and finish at North Queensland and and then, uh, obviously working with, uh, the national teams and then, uh, coming alongside Stevie as an assistant back to the club, uh, and then going off to, you know, do my, uh, tenure at Wellington and now coming back to the club, uh, for me, look, it's, it's very familiar, uh, but obviously things have changed, uh, there are a lot of changes that have, have, have happened at the club, uh, even with the setup in our training ground and the new facilities that we have, are uh, first class. So, for me, look, I've had very fond memories here, and I think it's uh, I'm very fortunate and very privileged to be uh, back at the club again. And Adelaide United this
3: uh, this weekend, they've been involved in, uh, in in Golf First pretty much week in, week out. You uh, you welcome them uh, to to Sydney. What are you what are you expecting? What's your sort of top line in regards to uh,
4: how to control the road
3: to have a stack of attacking talent, but do concede a few uh, going the other way.
4: Yeah, well, I think we had a goal fest ourselves against them as well. So, uh, one thing we want to do is, uh, make sure we score the goals and, uh, they don't. So look, they've, they've got some, uh, good firepower. You know, they've, they've also brought Stefan, uh, Moore back across. So he's a good, uh, attacking midfielder for them. But again, for us, it's the focus on, on what we need to do and, and how we need to nullify their, their strengths and, uh, you know, and find their weaknesses. So we're playing at home. We've been on, on the road for, uh, for three weeks. So I'm actually looking forward to get back to Allianz. Ufuk, great to chat thank you for your time you've, uh, you've
3: slotted in beautifully there I think it's it's four undefeated and it's uh, it's one loss in your past eight so all the best for the rest of the season I think um, maybe a few uh, Sky Blues fans who might have expected a season out of the top six and now dreaming about uh, something a little bit more exciting than that so once again thank you for your time and all the best for the rest of the season Cheers guys have a good one thank you Sydney FC boss Ufuk Tele there on the other side of the show we're going to have a, uh, a bit of a, a mishmash of World Cup Corner
0: Everybody's going to buy spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going
3: to buy spices. Yeah. Wella well. It's that time again. Derek, you love flavour-packed meals, you always have. And despite the uh, the change in season, there's one thing that is nice and adaptable, and that is your uh, range of curries, which is still being whipped up, I'm told.
1: Doesn't matter, Willem, it's 40 degrees outside like it nearly was today at the Hillsville Sanctuary, you can always have a curry and I need all my Hoyts, um spices uh, right at hand. There's a Sri Lankan one I do uh, which has uh, turmeric, it has cumin, it has cloves it has crushed fennel seeds uh, it has some garam masala, cinnamon uh, Yeah, there's about five or six that I've in there Willem and uh, some curry leaves um, and some coconut milk and you've got yourself a Sri Lankan curry my friend so uh, uh, that is the one.
3: Yeah, and do remember to look no further than the amazing range of herbs and spices to change the mood of your food. From our friends at Hoyts, and it sounds like that is exactly what Derek has done. The flavours of your next meal will just explode in your mouth. And remember, it sounds like you used quite a few there, Derek. So you can refill any of your empty spice jars with Hoyts Value Packs. You'll be happy with Hoyts at Coles, Woolworths, and all good independent supermarkets. Fill those
4: empties
0: with Hoyts spices, yeah. Box to box.
1: Can you believe it?
0: For Chemist Warehouse.
1: Great savings every
0: day. And Hoyt's With Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial
1: goal of all.
3: Just about brings us to the end of the show, but the referees indicated that there is a, uh, a good amount of time for World Cup Corner. This has been a little bit of a uh, a, a mishmash of different topics over the past couple of weeks. And uh, Derek, you have brought one to the table which relates. Uh, to the boss of UEFA, Alexander Seferin.
1: Yeah, it's a tenuous link to the World Cup. But yeah, the UEFA are in that ecosystem. There's plenty of large tectonic plates moving around in world football at the moment. And one of them is Alexander Seferin, who who has um, shocked, really, the football community by announcing that he will not uh, seek a fourth term uh, as the UEFA president in 2027. And the shock, really, is that under his administration, they had put some rules and regulations in place that were passed by the majority of the the European members to open the door for him to do a fourth term. So this was kind of Vladimir Putin stuff, you know, just you know continuing to change the rules to, to suit your uh, suit your own ends. And of course, we've seen from history in FIFA, whether it be with uh, Infantino or most notably with Sepp Blatter, that these guys who get to the top. Uh, of European of world football tend to want to hold on to their jobs and it becomes a kind of de facto uh dictatorship. So Seferin's been in charge since 2016. He's a Slovenian lawyer by background and he has, as I said before, one of the top jobs in football. It pays a salary of about uh three million US uh, dollars uh, a year and and everything did look like he was going to he was going to take it on but he's actually come out and said he's not gonna do it. He's um, sizing fatigue, he's, you know, COVID, getting through that. There's obviously some wars going on at the moment, which sort of affect the the European uh, zone as well. Um, and he has been under pressure, uh, you know, uh, in terms of European Super League and some other stuff that's been going on. In fact, uh, Zvonimir Boban, the, uh, the legendary ex-Croatian uh, player, quit his senior job. Um, at uh, UEFA, d- uh, d- uh, due to uh, um, some of these changes that Seferin had made, but he, but he's cho- he's chosen to walk. And you know, there is speculation now as to who might who might take take charge now. Boban is definitely in uh, the conversation. There's Portugal's um, FA president Fernando Gomes, and um, someone in uh, Nor- Norway called Lisa Clavines, uh who have been, all been put forward um no one thinks a british or german uh candidate will will be uh put forward um but i suppose whoever takes this job will have a pretty steep in we mentioned the european super league before the, there's the kind of ongoing jousting with with fifa um and then yeah there's just the pressure to run one of the the biggest uh club, you know, club competitions uh in the world too so edge um you know we've kind of brushed over that we could probably dissect this in more detail on a later show but were you surprised that mr seffrin decided that he wasn't going to take that fourth term and, and what do you read into that oh,
2: i'm not really surprised because i think he lost a bit of bark over the whole manchester city and super league uh, episodes um obviously they had a you know a, a big go at manchester city and that was overturned at the arbitration of sports so um I'd say that he's lost a bit of bark out of that and and I'd say maybe he's falling on his sword before he was uh, uh, facing a big challenge for his job. So I'm not too surprised. He he always seemed a bit of a cagey character, didn't he? He never seemed uh, terribly charismatic. Uh, He he didn't have a lot of gravitas. He seemed like a hard-nosed administrator. Uh, He was an interesting sort of guy. You're right to say that uh, they were always jousting with FIFA. I don't know if UEFA and FIFA should be at loggerheads over big issues, I think they should be working together um, as much as possible. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting times. I mean, the next, as you say, the entree for the incoming president is massive. Right at the top of that is the is the Super League and Club World Cup, and yeah, the dynamic around uh, all of those sort of machinations and uh, football politics in Europe. It's uh, it's pretty it's it's pretty deep and entangled, Willem.
3: Seferim was pretty outspoken this week, Edge, on the uh, the latest issue to pop its head up. That is the introduction or the, the recommended introduction of blue cards for trial uh, uh, across football. That coming from IFAB, the, uh, the primary law's body, uh, the, the sort of crux of it is it would act as a yellow card uh, for dissent or cynical fouls with an additional punishment of 10 minutes in the sin bin. Uh, Ange Postacoglu, willingly or not, uh, seems to have become the leading voice on this issue and uh, in the, uh, firmly in, in the pushback category.
1: Here he is. One team being down to 10 men for 10 minutes, you know what it's going to do to our game? It's going to destroy it, mate. You're going to have one team just sitting there trying to waste time for 10 minutes waiting for a guy to come on. You know, like I said, every other game is trying to speed up. Every other sport is trying to declutter. All we're trying to do is go the other way for some bizarre reason.
3: So Edge, it would represent half a red card just like a yellow card and then you could pair the two. Uh, so yeah, it essentially is the same thing with the sin bin attached and Ange went on to say that we've already got the right mechanisms in place to punish those sort of acts uh, just not being uh, used properly. Uh, it reminds me of where do, you, where do you sit on it? I, I always think back to the introduction of the VAR when the A-League uh, was one of the, the very first guinea pigs. I think Football Australia were offered uh, a bit of a, uh, a financial incentive to take it on. It was a disaster. It wasn't good or you know uh, well-liked by any any regards, but really with these sort of bureaucratic issues, it was green-lighted and went to the top leagues and the issues continued to, uh, to cascade down the game. So uh, how do you feel about, about something like this? Is it a trial or is it just the sort of green-lighting of an idea that's that's going to come whether we like it or not?
2: Uh, It's pretty serious when IFAB make a recommendation, Willem, so I think uh, that's uh, going to be seriously considered. Actually, when I first read this, I thought it was a bit of a joke, but then I looked into it and I thought, if they're going to just um, have a blue card to differentiate between um, punishment for dissent um, and treat it as a yellow card as a way of showing fans that this player got a a blue card for dissent, I think that's okay. I'm not so worried about that, but um, the 10 minutes... 10 minutes on the sidelines. Nah, not happy about that. And yeah, it's just sort of in the in the nucleus of the, the idea is okay, but yeah, I mean, we just got to see how it plays out. But um, I'm a bit confused if they're going to introduce more disciplinary measures. One of the beautiful things about our games is there's only 21 rules with them.
3: Yeah, and while we're at it, Marco Rudan and the Wanderers have really sort of created a bit of a siege mentality over the past couple of weeks uh, against the referees. have added four red cards across three games, I think, and got... You know, went to the next level with Paul Letterer, their chairman, uh, chasing Sean Evans down the tunnel and abusing him uh, post game on the weekend. So, James Johnson is going to front the press Tuesday morning, Australian time, regarding uh, conduct towards match officials. So, good to see, or maybe it will be good to see some, uh, some, some sort of strong terminology from head office. Edged around out the show, you opened up with news about Michelle Heyman, uh, another uh, Matilda's veteran and Matilda's great uh, Melissa Barbieri, but a news around her as well, with which you would like to close the show.
2: Uh, absolutely, Willem. Uh, Melissa Barbieri, 43 years young, she's been able to um, uh, regain the number one spot at Melbourne City in the A-League women's competition because uh, Lissie-Ann has uh, been secured a contract and left the club to go to the National Women's Soccer League in America with Bay of But uh, Barbieri, 43 years young, she's uh, obviously had 86 caps for Matildas, uh, four Olympic Games and two World's Cups. And uh, she saved a penalty for melbourne city to earn a point against sydney fc and i thought at 43 years of age when you're diving across to save penalties that's worth a shout in our world cup corner let's listen to the commentary
0: saved by barbieri she read it well fantastic work for melissa barbieri easy melissa barbieri guessed the right way stood her ground princess sabini just didn't get enough on it
2: well done, Bubs. Uh, 43 years of age. She'll actually be in goal for the rest of the season uh, like what happened last year. I don't think she would have expected that this would happen, but I'm, I'm sure she's up for the task and you know, she trains very hard. So well done, Bubs. And uh, I'm off to Uzbekistan on Friday, Willem, uh, to uh, host a, a tour program uh, for people that are going to Uzbekistan to watch the Matildas um, play the first leg of their uh, Olympic qualifier. We've got about five days uh, on the Silk Road, uh, enjoying all the tourism before we uh, get back to Tashkent and uh, watch the Matildas in that match.
3: Enjoy that, mate. Looks like a, a fantastic uh, and sort of very intriguing country and the trip you've got planned and make sure the Matildas bring home the, uh, the win in the first leg of that dual-headed uh, qualifier as well. Derek Dyson, thank you to you. Thanks, Chance. Pleasure as always. I'll speak to you later in the week in stoppage time. Thank you to Paul Williams and Ufuk Talley for joining us and to Adam Maloney on the buttons who does a fantastic job. Please do remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on X at Box NTS, and enjoy our written content at BoxToBoxNTS.com. Do join us again shortly when we will go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.